what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Are you scared? Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. I am your host, Mark Janone. And along for the ride, as always, partner in crime, riding shotgun, just me and him this week, Dan Silver. Dan, how are you, bud? Mark, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Um, recently, well, yesterday, got my Eagles DVD in the mail, so that's happening tonight, as soon as this is over with. Johan, your pants are going to be coming off pretty soon. Yeah, I got the Kleenex, you know, next to uh, the chair Uh, for my eyes. Well, we don't want people to tune out within the first minute, so we should probably move on, I'm guessing. Yeah, people don't care about that because there's a hockey team. There's there's a hockey team, uh, you know, obviously in the hunt for the playoffs. uh, They've, you know, stalled their play a little bit as of recently, and I know you want to get into that later, but I guess we should open up with the most obvious thing that's going on right now. A huge game tomorrow night against the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are two points behind the Flyers. Flyers at 81, the Columbus Blue Jackets sit at 79 points on the year. But before we get into that, I want to go back and touch on this game from Monday night, I believe it was, against the Vegas Golden Knights, and again, the Flyers for the second time in three games shit the bed late in the in the game, late in the third, and give up the go-ahead goal. Obviously, uh, two games ago to Boston, now to Vegas. Um, Vegas is a good team, but the Flyers played well. That was a heartbreaking one. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers deserved to win that game. I thought they outplayed Vegas in the game, and... You know, there were a couple shifts where, look, this is going to happen when you've got the collection of second and third pairing defensemen that the Flyers have and, and guys like Phil Pilo playing against top lines for other teams. You're going to have these sustained shifts in the Flyers zone, and sometimes the pucks can end up in the back of the net. And it's it's just a shame that that's what happened against Vegas. I mean, you know, Travis Sanheim took that late high-sticking penalty and, and the coach shortened the bench and wasn't using him as much. And so, of course, Andrew McDonald was out there for that uh, go-ahead goal. There's a great stat that another uh, Phileas Flyer person and my uh, my friend since childhood, actually, Mark Naples, put, the, put a poll out there on Twitter, which I, I thought was pretty funny. It was, let's see if, I don't know if you voted, but let's see if you can answer this question. During the Flyers' 1-5-1 skid, they have allowed five even-strength goals while leading or tied in the third period. For how many of those five goals was McDonald on the ice? And the the, the possibilities are zero, four, five, and six. (laughs) Um, I'm going to I'm going to guess four. You're right. Four is the correct answer. So he's been on the ice for 80% of the goals that we've given up at even strength while leading a tie in the third over that seven-game skid they've been on. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mark, by the way, is at SuperScrub47 if you want to follow him on Twitter. But, but yeah, I mean, look, they outplayed Vegas. And Vegas is probably a better team than them. 
So it was, it's just one of those games. And the same thing against Boston. I mean, they played all right. They, they didn't play great in the, in the third period, but, um, you know, they gave up a goal late. I mean, I'm, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I'm just, I'm not prepared to overreact to some of these games. They're playing good teams right now. That's going to uh, change here coming up pretty soon. But obviously, it's it's not the way you want hockey games to end, the Bruins game and the Vegas game, because you figure, okay, at least we're going to get one point out of this, probably. And then it's it's like the worst thing there is, giving up a goal late in a tied game in the regular season. Yeah, um, well, I guess now would probably be the best point to talk about this, because we're kind of on the topic, and we can get into Columbus at any time. Huge game tomorrow night. But I don't want to say that I'm over... I don't want to say that... I've given up complete hope on the Flyers. Obviously, everybody was riding high after February. An incredible run they had that entire month. It's amazing how things happen, and it's probably coincidence the whole once the calendar flips, now they're not playing as well as they were the month before. You know, I don't really buy into anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, and I know your your whole thing is they're playing teams that are better than them, but the two games in this skid that – Stand out to me the most are the Florida Panthers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins obviously are ahead of them in the schedule, and there's a very good chance if the Penguins don't win the division and the Flyers stay where they are in that third spot, or you know, or if the Penguins and Flyers flip flop somehow, that that's your first round matchup. And you know, besides like ten minutes in the second period. The Flyers really did not show up for that game, and that was as big a game as it was to that point. And now here we are a week later, and we're saying the same thing about Columbus. So the Flyers didn't really live up to the hype in that game against Pittsburgh. It was a home game. It was a playoff atmosphere, the whole rivalry night, you know, whatever. That's, you know, more of a TV thing than than anything that the the players buy into. But that was a game they didn't show up for, and it concerned me a good bit because— the Penguins seemed head and shoulders better than the Flyers in that game. And in the Florida game, kind of the same thing. The, the defense was virtually non-existent. I talked about it last week. The amount of breakaways that the Panthers got that the Flyers pretty much just allowed was staggering. You know, it seemed like the Panthers, every time they wanted that breakout pass, they had it. The defense had no answer for it. There were no adjustments. It was just kind of like, whatever let them go. Hopefully the goalie can stop it. And I understand you're coming off of an emotional game, the game, the day before in Tampa Bay, a high scoring game, but you go from scoring six goals the day before to one goal. And the Flyers in this losing streak that they've had besides the Tampa Bay game have not scored more than two goals. Now, they, that's not for a lack of chances. The chances have been there. Oscar Lindbaum's playing out of his mind. It's only a matter of time you would hope before he scores but I'm not I don't want to sound like I'm overreacting and maybe to a point I am the Flyers are still sending a good position thank God for February because they you know built up some equity in points but I know you think you're somewhat displeased pissed off whatever with the fans on Twitter of course this is Philadelphia when things are going good we're winning the championship the minute things slow down people are jumping off the bridge so just go ahead and vent, you know, call people out, do what you got to do to feel, make yourself feel better. <laughs> no, I, I'm not upset or displeased at the fans on Twitter. I understand the reaction, right? It's just human nature. The Flyers have lost. 
what, six out of the last seven games. So it's, it is human nature to be upset about this run. I'm just choosing to take a more rational approach and say things like, look, they, they lost to Tampa. They're one of the best teams in the league. That was an up-and-down game. And then the following afternoon, you're playing at Florida, arguably the hottest team in the league at that point. You're, not, you're probably not going to win that game, right? The, the teams that win games like that or teams like the Penguins that have three lines that can all score, and so someone, you know, you, you can win un, you can win games in surprising fashion that way. It's just the Flyers were likely not going to win that game. So you could look at the specifics and say, hey, they give up all these breakaways and they didn't score and blah, blah, blah. But I'm kind of looking at it. They weren't going to win that game. It was just, you know, they were 20% to win that game. Um, the Penguins game was definitely disappointing. You know, I thought that they, I thought they came out okay, um, but you said that the Penguins looked like a team that was just much better than the Flyers. I think the Penguins are a team that's much better than right. the Flyers. I mean, they're they're scary with those three lines that they can roll. So, you know, that was not a surprising game to me. And then I thought they played well against the Bruins and Vegas. Let's not forget they beat Winnipeg mm-hmm. in the middle of those those three games. One of the best teams in the league, and I thought they played very well against Winnipeg. So. I guess my thing is, I don't know, was the Panthers game because people were kind of freaking out. And I was like, look, folks, like the reality is they're probably going to lose three of the next four games. If you look at who they're playing against, they're not as good as those teams. During their winning streak, they were playing against Montreal and Arizona and the Rangers and the Canadians. They were beating teams that they're supposed to beat. So I'm trying to look at the big picture and – you know, right now, if you if you look at just at the standings, right, the Flyers are third in the division. They're two points up on Columbus and three points up on New Jersey. So both of those teams could pass the Flyers, and the Flyers would still make the playoffs. Now, Florida has 75 points, so they're six points behind the Flyers, and they have three games at hand. Florida, I think, is actually going to make the playoffs, but let's take a look at New Jersey's schedule coming up. And you tell me which games that are going to win. Okay, here's – and keep in mind, the Devils, you know, like I said, they are uh, three points behind the Flyers. Here's here's their schedule coming up. At Vegas, win or loss. Uh, just probably, by the percentage. Just, just by the percentages. Tell me is, if they're supposed to – This is Jersey? Uh, yeah. Uh, probably a loss. Okay, at the L.A. Kings. I'll give them a loss. At the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, or the Ducks. I'll give them a win. At the Sharks. Win. Wow, okay. At the Penguins. Loss. Home against Tampa. That's a loss. Home against Carolina. Now, they should win that game. Then you're home against Pittsburgh. Another tough game. And you close out the season with the Maple Leafs and the Capitals. Like, mm-hmm. they have some easy games in there. They've got the Islanders, the Canadians, and the Rangers. But that schedule is absolutely brutal. And the Flyers' schedule, kind of quite honestly, isn't that tough the rest of the way. They've got Columbus, Carolina, Washington, the Red Wings, the Rangers. You know, they've got some tough games in there. They've got four games against the Penguins, Stars, Avalanche, and Bruins. But then they close out the season against the Islanders, the Hurricanes, and the Rangers. So, it just seems very unlikely to me that the Devils, with their schedule coming up, are going to catch the Flyers. And, you know, it's that's why, you know, you look at – I usually look at the athletic um, Dom 
publishes and every day posts updated percentages. And right now he's got the Flyers at 88% to make the playoffs. So, you know, it's just why I'm just trying to look at the big picture. And, and look, if the Flyers, if we're having the same discussion next week and the Flyers have, have lost all their games this week, that's a big problem. Yeah. But right now, I think they're in pretty good shape. Well, from the way I look at it, I'm not looking at it from the perspective that I don't think the Flyers are going to make the playoffs. I think the Flyers are going to make the playoffs. But, you know, it was only a couple weeks ago that we were talking about, you know, possibly, you know, a second round appearance, maybe, depending on how they're playing. Uh, you know, maybe, this is a huge maybe, but Eastern Conference Finals, and we were just kind of talking or whatever, but, and when you're talking about things like they're playing teams that are better than them, when they were going on that point streak in February, they were playing teams worse than them, the fact of the matter is, really, is the teams in the playoffs aren't going to be like the teams, you know, it's not going to be the Rangers, it's not going to be the Red Wings, it's going to be Pittsburgh, Boston, you know, Tampa Bay, these are all the teams that are in front of them that they're going to have to deal with maybe at some point in the playoffs. And it's disheartening that, yeah, these teams are better than the Flyers on paper when you look at it, but it's disheartening, A, the, that they're losing these games. And, like, when you uh, you talk about the Florida game and you said a uh, 20% chance that they were going to win that game. But I think a lot of that, is on the players of the team that this isn't a team that you, I think we could really expect that, all right, they had a tough game the day before they're going to come out hot this next game. They haven't been good with back to backs for really the entire season, really since, you know, and it, it, maybe it's all a coincidence, but since Dave Haxtell has been around and you saw the same thing against, uh, you know, with Pittsburgh and Boston I understand these teams are better than the Flyers, but I'm disappointed, and I think a lot of the people are disappointed, not that the Flyers are losing these games, but the way that the Flyers are losing these games, that how a lot of these games, they aren't in it for a large portion of the game. They'll make it exciting for parts, but for the most part, they're just getting outplayed, and that's why I think a lot of the fans are concerned. I, again, the Flyers are going to make the playoffs, but it's about making the playoffs and playing a strong game in the playoffs, playing a strong series, giving the team you're going against a run for their money, and making a push for that next round. And this stretch has shown that the Flyers maybe aren't as good or, you know, as good as they showed during February. That maybe they are kind of what we thought they were at the beginning, like for most part of the season and just kind of a middle-of-the-road team because they played down big time to these better teams in the league when you want them to step up, you want them to show their chops, you want them to take it to these teams, and for the most part, they haven't, except there's exceptions. Obviously, Winnipeg, they won. It was a good game. They played tough against Boston, but again, that's a team that, uh, well, from the Flyers' perspective, they gave up that late goal. Same thing with Vegas. They played well against them, but they gave up the late goal. They have to learn how to finish these games, especially when they're trying to, they need every point they can get. And those are two points at minimum right there that they let go because they couldn't hang on for an extra 20 seconds against Boston. And they let the goal in, in just under three minutes against Vegas. So it's disheartening for the fans. 
it's disheartening for me that just kind of middle of the road hockey when they need to be playing up and better against these teams to show that they belong. I still maintain, I mean, two weeks ago we had the discussion about the playoffs, and I think I said I didn't think they could beat the Penguins in the playoffs. I think they can beat the Capitals in the playoffs. Like, I still think that. My outlook on this team has not changed. I don't think they could beat Pittsburgh. I don't think they could beat Tampa. I don't think they could beat the Bruins in the playoffs. Probably Mm -hmm. not. And I, I think that, again, those last three games, you were just talking about it, I think we both agree they played well in all three of those games. And those three games were all against teams that are better than the Flyers. They are higher in the standings than the Flyers. So I guess it comes back to the fact that right now I am still viewing what this team is doing this season sort of like as great because at the beginning of the season, I think we were both kind of like on the fence if they were going to make the playoffs. Then after the 10-game losing streak, I was laughing at people on Twitter who were suggesting they were going to make the playoffs. Now, they're a team that has beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat and is competing with some of the teams that are better with them, and they look like they're going to make the playoffs, and it's going to be great experience for a lot of these young guys on the team, right? Ivan Provorov's going to be in the playoffs for the first time. Nolan Patrick's going to be in the playoffs for the first time. Oscar Lindblom's going to be in the playoffs for the first time. We're going to get to see what Peter Morazic can do in a pressurized spot to see if maybe they're going to want to resign him. So, you know, it's gravy for me. I'm trying to look at the positives. And if, like I said, if we are talking about this next week and the Flyers have lost to Columbus, they've lost to Carolina and they've lost to the Capitals, you know, it's going to be a, that will be sound the alarms. This team might not make the playoffs, but I'm not willing to go there yet because they finally have a, a, a couple games here. You know, the Columbus game is huge. They right. better come out and play well against Columbus. Um, and then they go to Carolina. And again, that's a game that they need to win. And it's against an inferior team. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I still maintain they can beat the Capitals in the first round. I don't think the Capitals are all that great. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, I'm just, you know, I, that's how I feel about it. I mean, I'm not going to get too upset about it unless they just lay a couple eggs this week. Right. Well, let's look ahead now. Um, you you already brought up, I brought up, you know, the, the Columbus game is huge. Um, thankfully for the Flyers, it's at home. They've played better at home recently than they have on the road. They'll have the crowd behind them. I feel like they're playing Columbus like once a week lately. We've seen them so much. So these are two teams that are familiar with each other. These are two teams that are building somewhat of a dislike for each other. You know, the Flyers have their number recently. So this is a huge game. Columbus two points behind them. If the Flyers lose this game, they're out of that third spot. They're out of that third, um, yeah, that third spot in the division because Columbus has would have more wins than them. So this is an enormous game. And again, it's the biggest game since the Penguins game last week. And these games are just going to get more and more important. But as of right now, because of where the seeding is, this game is absolutely monumental for the Philadelphia Flyers. And they are catching the Columbus Blue Jackets at a time where the Blue Jackets are hot. They've won 
five in a row, seven of their last three. Artemi Panarin is playing well. He's got three goals in that five-game winning streak, eight points in that five-game winning streak. He's someone they're going to have to look out for. So this is a this is big time for the Flyers. This is going to be another playoff atmosphere down there. It's going to be a huge crowd. They're going to be juiced up. They're going to be ready to go, and it all it's all going to boil down to how the Flyers come out. The old cliche as hockey is you have to win the first 10 minutes. The Flyers have to dominate the first 10 minutes of this game. They have to score a goal within the first 10 minutes of this game to set a tone, to tell this team, you're not coming in here and winning this game. This is our game. Get back on your bus, get back to the airport, and go the hell home because you are not winning this game. We are holding firm at this third spot in the division. Just take a hike. And... If they shit the bed in this game, then they're going to have – the next two games don't get much easier because they have Carolina on Saturday. I think, of course, a back-to-back Saturday-Sunday, Carolina-Saturday. The Capitals, another measuring stick game will be on Sunday. So this game is pivotal for how probably the, the next two weeks shape out for the Flyers. I think they should bring you in before the game to talk to them in the locker room. Bring I'm it in. Fired, I'll, I'm I'll getting, do it. I'm getting fired up just listening to you. Yeah, I, look, they're going to – it's incomprehensible to me that they're not going to come out like gangbusters in this game. I mean, it's there's something know. wrong if they don't. Because, uh, like you said, the last game they had at home that was as big was Pittsburgh. And, you know, I think Pittsburgh's a much better team. But, yeah, man, they got to come out. they got to press it to the Blue Jackets from the start. Mrazic's got to be on his game. He's been up and down. I'm hoping that Lindblom maybe can get off the schneid. I cannot believe how many scoring chances that guy's had and has not scored yet. Yeah, Someone was ridiculous. joking on Twitter. He's going to be like the first NHL player to, to uh, retire after a thousand games with no goals scored. It's <laughs> it's unbelievable. What's he have like? I think I her last game he's got like what fourteen scoring chances or it's somewhere no, it's in the more than that. Yeah, it's, it's more than that now. It's it, it's incredible how many scoring chances he has how many times he is there the puck is there the opening is there and like at the the last second something happens a stick gets in there something gets in there and you're hoping that when he finally does score you have that domino effect where they just start coming in bunches for this kid but that's it's a tremendous uh feel-good thing for the fans and for the team that We've been waiting for a guy like him to come up all season. And, you know, you're always, whenever these guys come up, and really in any sport, there's always that couple of games where you're like, uh, you know, he has to really, you know, you've been you've been hoping for this guy to come up. Can he live up to the hype? He's more than lived up to the hype. He's all over the ice. He's always in the right position, obviously, given his scoring chances that he's getting. The, so that's encouraging, but now you really and the Flyers really need him to start putting these chances in the back of the net because if he starts scoring, it's going to be huge for this team because that's just one more guy that the other team's going to have to worry about. You know, you got Giroux playing at the top of his game, best season he's had in a couple of years. Connecting's finally picked it up. Uh, Simmons scored, you know, scored on the power play the last last game. Nolan Patrick has picked it up as of late. So if you get a guy, and of course, you know, Jake Voracek is just dishing the puck all over the place. He can't he can't help but get an assist, seems like, every game. So if you get a Lindblom going, if you get him to start 
putting points up, that that's bad news for other teams. And I'm going to call it right here. During this Columbus game, he's breaking the, he's he's opening the scoring for this game. He will get the first goal in this game. Watch. That within that first 10 minutes, he's getting that first goal. There you go. There you so, have it. That would be awesome. I mean, from, look, that's the difference in some of these games. I mean, the Vegas game, how many scoring chances did he have? And that's the difference between winning and losing that game. So, right. yeah, he's I mean, he's so he's so good on the wall. I mean, he's so strong and he's so good in front of the net. You can just tell he's going to be a a very good NHL player for a long time. He's going to score the dirty goals. He's going to be the kind of guy in the playoffs scoring big goals in overtime because that's how you score those goals is in mm-hmm. front of the net. He knows what to do. So he is a guy I'm not concerned about at all. You know, one thing I wanted to talk about was you brought up Konechny. So this was an interesting week for Konechny and Travis Stanheim because, you know, Konechny's a guy that last season – Dave Haxtell benched him a number of times. It, he didn't put him out there late in games, even when he was when he was in the lineup. Um, it seemed like maybe he was immune from that this year because he's been arguably this team's most dynamic forward in terms of creating plays. He's certainly been one of the top guys. So against Winnipeg, he takes that bad tripping penalty at the end of the game, and they bench him the rest of the game. Like, I don't – I'm interested in your take because I didn't – I mean, guys take penalties like that, right? right? Like, Andrew McDonald takes penalties like that. Brandon Manning has taken more than a share of penalties like that. Ivan Radko Gudis. Bad penalties. Gudis. They, he doesn't bench these guys. So it's still a little alarming to me that Konechny, despite how great he's been this season, is not immune to the coach benching him. Now, maybe – the message got through and look, maybe this is something that we don't know about behind closed doors. He's been talking to connect the last month about taking bad penalties and this just pushed it over the edge. And then after the game, Haxtell apparently dressed down connect in front of reporters. So clearly he knew what he was doing. They, they only let the reporters in the room once the coach says it's okay. Mm-hmm. So he had major issues with this connect penalty. I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems a little bit strange to me. At some point, you got to let these guys have a little bit of room. Well, I look at it kind of two ways when I hear something like that. Obviously, it was calculated what he did in the locker room because, like you said, the coach gives the okay for the media to come in. So I think everybody keeps – one of the biggest knocks on Dave Haxtall is his lack of emotion. You know, you see him on the side – behind the bench – and he's got that stone face, very stoic, doesn't really get out of hand all that often, doesn't show his true colors, how he's feeling all that often. So I think from one side of it, when you hear something like that, that he did that, maybe you look at it as he's trying to motivate these guys, you know, nobody is above the team, even though you're playing well, that doesn't make you immune to, if you do something stupid, I'm going to come down on you. At the same time, I think he's kind of still stuck in this college coaching mindset to where, you know, maybe in college that shit flies. Somebody takes a dumb penalty. Somebody makes a stupid play. You you know, you lower his playing time, and it sends a message to the kid learning the game. Okay, I can't do that because these are the repercussions. But this is, you know, this is the pros. This is the NHL. Stuff like that doesn't work. You can't 
sacrifice playing time for one of your top players, one of your hottest players, because he took a dumb penalty. And you're absolutely right. You brought up the Brandon Mannings. Uh, you br- you know, you could bring up uh, Andrew McDonald. Radko Gudis, you know, if Radko Gudis got benched or had diminished playing time for every stupid penalty he took, he would probably be out of the league because it happens more time than more times than not. Not so much recently because he's dialed back his game because he's afraid of getting suspended and all and everything like that. So I guess, and I'm not the biggest supporter of Haxall, but I see it from both sides. I think on one hand he's trying to motivate the young player. He's trying to, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with embarrassing any player of any level, you know, whether he's a rookie, a second year, or whether he's been in the league 15 years. I don't necessarily agree with embarrassing him in front of the media because you know that's going to get out. You're doing that on purpose. He's trying to send a message to people on the outside, which makes me think he hears what's going on, hears what people are saying about him, and now he's letting it affect him a little bit, and he knew if he does this in front of the media, that's getting out. Oh, Dave Haxall is a hard ass. He came down on Travis uh, Konechny. He's not, you know, he's not taking dumb shit anymore. But on the other other side of it, you can't sacrifice, you can't take a chance of his confidence getting hurt because you already last year didn't play him all that often. So there's already this perception that you don't like him all that much as a player and you can't risk him lowering his confidence when he's playing at the top of his game right now, when he's playing the best he has so far as a pro. And you can't, again, you can't risk your best player not being out there as not your best player. He's, you know, he's not their best player, but one of their best players being out there as much as possible generating offense because that's all he's been doing lately. Yeah, I mean, again, if if he right, because he wouldn't do this if it was Giroux or Voracek or Fourier right. or Provorov or, or Ghost. He's not benching those guys. So And if you want to make a point, those are the guys you go after. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, maybe he still views it as kind of a teaching method with some of these with young guys and he still views Connecting as one of the young guys. I mean we'll see what happens. The other thing he did at the next night, too, with Travis Sandheim. I mean, with Travis Sandheim, since he has been called up, he's been very good. His gap coverage has been very good. His outlet passes have been very good. He's just played really good, smart hockey. He even had a few pinches uh, in the Vegas game that were well-timed. I mean, you're seeing right now what Travis Konechny can do. And I think he's not even showing what he can do to an offensive extent because he's probably a little scared of, of getting caught. But then in the game against Vegas, Travis uh, Sanheim takes a late high-sticking penalty. And, of course, Vegas scores. And after that, he did get a few shifts. I was afraid they might bench him for good in the rest of the game. But Haxtell gave him a few shifts after that. But he wasn't out there. He's been regularly partnered with Andrew McDonald. He wasn't out there. Uh, McDonald was out there with Gudis when Vegas tied the game. Mm-hmm. So another another thing, Sanheim's been playing well. He takes a high-sticking penalty, which happens. Players high-stick other players accidentally. And, uh, you know, he benched him a little bit. Now, look, maybe he would have benched him the same way just because he likes, you know, not having these young guys out there towards the end of the game. But it seemed to me that it was probably partly due to the high-sticking penalty and uh, it might have cost them because of of that, you know, that goal being scored when Gudis and McDonald were out there at the same time, and those guys don't play a lot together. 
Cove. So maybe there were some communication issues. I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. You know, I hope that we kind of talked about this a little before we, we started the podcast. We are just talking that Sandheim's been really good, and it would be a shame if when Robert Haig comes back, which he will probably be back within the next week, if Sandheim comes out of the lineup. Because it is just so much nicer seeing him play than Brandon Manning. Now the passes are great. The skating's great. He's been playing better in his own zone. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I doubt they keep him in the lineup. Although Dave Isaac, who's, you know, one of the better Flyers reporters for the uh, the Courier j- uh, Journal, uh, um, I believe that, uh, um, that he had a tweet that, um, hold on a sec. Yeah, the, the uh, Courier Post, sorry, the Courier Post online, he had a tweet basically saying that if Sanheim continues to play well, that he will probably stay in the stay on the Flyers for the rest of the season. And I tweeted back at him and I said, "How do you? Where are you getting this? Or is this just something that's your opinion, or do you have something to back it up?" And his exact wording was that. Um, hold on, I want to find this. He said, "Best way to put it is an educated opinion based on the people I've spoken with." So that makes hmm. me think that Dave Isaac, who is pretty tied in with the organization, you know, has some reason to believe that if he performs well, they're going to keep him up. Now, they might keep him up as a seventh defenseman. I don't know. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah. See, and Sanheim is like the, you know, the elephant in the room because now he's given the Flyers a hard decision to make. Well, he's really given Dave Haxall a hard decision to make because he has played so well. Now he's still, and I'm just looking at the Vegas game, he still had the the least amount of time on time on ice of all the defensemen, and he's played better. You could argue that he's played, you know, obviously outside of Ivan Provorov because no one's ever going to outplay him. But he's probably played the best defensively outside of Ivan Provorov since he's come up. And you're right. Just you can just see when he's on the ice, the game flows so much better in both end both ends for the Flyers. And, you know, he's not getting much less time on ice as, you know, Manning and uh Andrew McDonald. But you're right. He you know, he's it's the big question right now from that aspect is when Robert Hay comes back, which is going to be sooner rather than later. We're not talking about a Brian Elliott injury where he's out for, you know, a couple months. He will be back soon. What do you do with Travis Sanheim? How can the Flyers justify either sending him back down or making him the 7th defenseman if he is playing as one of your top 2 or 3 better best defenseman if he's playing to that level how do you justify sending him down you know Brandon Manning you see him cough the puck up left and right whenever he gets it on his stick so how do you justify that how do you look the the rest of your team in the face and say Travis Hanheim is playing some of the best defense on this team but we're gonna put him up in the press box we're gonna send him back down you're not showing the rest of the team that your good play earns you rewards. You're showing that, yeah, you can play good, but if I don't like you or if I think that somebody else is better than you but isn't playing better than you right now, then it doesn't matter. I think that in Dave Haxtell's mind, it would be harder for him to tell his team that Brandon Manning's not playing. Like I, I think Haxtell views that. it as Brandon, Brandon Manning's been – a, uh, a veteran warrior who's been with us for the whole season and he's been on, went through all the battles 
and everyone knows that Travis Sanheim will have his day back, but that um, Brandon Manning is, is the guy. So, you know, I I don't know. I still think that, that maybe Sanheim will, will stay up and he'll be the seventh defenseman. I still will be surprised if Hague comes back and everyone's healthy if Sanheim stays in the top six. Maybe they'll surprise us and it'll be that would be quite a pleasant surprise. But based on everything I've seen, I can't imagine Dave Haxtell at this point in the season benching Brandon Manning for Travis Sanheim. I just can't see it, but I hope I'm wrong. It's appalling, really. I mean, anybody with two eyes and a brain can see that Travis Sanheim is better than Brandon Manning. Maybe his key, maybe this whole thing for Travis Sanheim is maybe he's got to put a goal or a pull or you know an assist up. You know, maybe he needs to score a big goal in one of these next couple games that he that Robert Hague's out. Maybe that tips the scale. Maybe not. But you know, this whole this showing favoritism to the veteran warrior and you know, bullshit like that. It doesn't fly late in the season when you're making a push for the playoffs. You need your best players out there. And the fact of the matter is, Travis Sanheim is a better player than Brandon Manning. He's a better player than Andrew McDonald. And he needs to be out there. I'm not saying put him on the top four, you know, make him a top four defenseman right now and give him all this ice time. But he needs... He needs playing time. He needs to be out there because he makes a difference when he's out there. The team is better when he's on the ice than when Brandon Manning is on the ice. It's it's just it's just fact. It's out there. Just look at it. Look at the difference from their play, the team's play, when one guy's out there and the other guy, and that's all you need to see. So the interesting so as you were talking there, it made me think about Oscar Lindblom, right? Because he has no points in eleven games. And despite that, Ron Hextall's been adamant that he's doing all the things he has to do to stay in the lineup, even though he's not putting up points. So, I first off, I don't think for Travis Sanheim it's going to be about putting up points. If they're treating him the same way they're treating Lindblom, then maybe his really good play will be enough. However, you know, it's a little easier to keep Lindblom up there just because there's 12 forwards as opposed to only six defensemen. But, but it's, you know, I was thinking about that as you were talking, that if if they truly are committed to keeping these young kids in the lineup, if they're playing well, even though they don't have any points, well, Sandheim sort of falls into the same category as Lindblom. Um, I could just see Hatchell saying, well, he took a dumb penalty and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, it's that's going to be one of the more interesting things to see what happens is when Hay comes back and everyone is healthy, what happens with Sandheim? Because this team, if, if they play Sandheim on the second pair and he starts getting second pair minutes, that is one potential path towards being able to beat a team like Pittsburgh or having a better chance to beat the Capitals is if you've got him in the lineup because he can change the game. Right. Did you see today? I saw it on Twitter. Um, I believe like, – I can't remember who put it out there. It could have been Dave Isaac. Maybe not. But the uh, one of the lines that the Flyers had out there during practice was – Patrick Lindblom and Konechny. Yeah, here it is. Flyers come out with an all-21 line of Lindblom, Patrick Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim on the uh, the points. Now, I don't think that Provorov, Sanheim thing is going to stick, but the Lindblom, Patrick Konechny line is intriguing to me because you got two of the hottest players on the team in Patrick and Konechny, and a guy playing as good as anybody on the team in Lindblom that needs to get over that hump and put in one of these chances like we talked about earlier. 
What are your what do you, what do you think about that line? Could that be? I'm trying to find the tweet. Could that have been about the second power play unit? Because that sounds to me like something that they could. That's very similar right now to the second power play unit. The only difference would be swapping in Sandheim for Filthula, I mm-hmm. believe. It doesn't. So, he doesn't um, specify power Isaac. player or not. Yeah, Dave Isaac from. Uh, I believe it says a day ago, but the dates don't add up there. Fly, yeah. I mean, if that is, it doesn't. He doesn't say whether it's the power play or not. But I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty intriguing line. Just you know, just the three forwards. If you're gonna put, if this is the power play and you're gonna put Sandheim out there, you know, maybe that's another way that, and maybe that's coming from upstairs. Who knows? You know, we have to see what this kid can do on the power play. We have to give him every chance to stay up here, but. I mean, I would be interested to see that because that's basically your future right there, just from the forwards aspect. And I think that Lindblom uh, would benefit greatly from that because Konechny, you know, we see him, you know, he's quick. He's that little guy. He gets, you know, he's just a little pest out there. So I think Lindblom can really benefit from playing alongside those other two. And I think that's uh, that's the answer to his uh, scoring problems right now. I would like to see well, this. Well, that is at the beginning of the year. I said, "How about a kids line of, of Lindblom, Patrick, and Konechny?" Right. And sure, you know, there yeah. I mean, look in the in the future. I think that could certainly be a line for this team. I don't know if they're going to do it right now, but the, that would that would be a dynamic line. You move Voracek up to the first line. Based, I mean, well, based on how they've you know haven't been scoring all that much recently, I don't think you have anything to lose if you put them out there for a couple shifts. If it doesn't work, whatever shake it up again if you know if they start if they generate some offense if they generate some pressure keep going with it maybe maybe you found something there but I don't think all those young players in an actual game is something that um Dave Axel's blood pressure could handle I think they might have to uh you know shock him back to life if he actually (laughs) did that in a game that had any meaning well he does love Patrick and Lindblom I think because of how good defensively they are Konechny is you know obviously a little different he's still you know, benches him at a moment's notice, but yeah, well, you know, so, um, something else you, when we were talking before we started recording here, something else that has you upset with the fans, you have a lot of, um, I'm not upset, but you know, you have a lot of aggression towards the people on Twitter. <sighs> I think that's fair to say. I don't have aggression towards you. May, the you might not want to hurt I... them, but it no, may I give love, you thoughts. I... I love the people on Twitter, uh, and I am just trying to – I try and answer questions rationally and the way I think, and I have strong opinions, and I try to back back them up with facts, and I find that there are just some narratives that I think people just kind of throw stuff out there, and I just don't – it just – I don't want – it annoys me. And one of those narratives is that the Flyers don't draft – goal scorers that they don't draft quote-unquote snipers that all they draft are these two-way playmakers um and you know these guys that you know they everyone wanted Kiefer Bellows a couple years ago when the Flyers took Garamond Roops up last year everyone wanted Ellie Tolvanen now Tolvanen's been awesome this year but let's take a look at some facts of the players that the Flyers drafted in 2017 
Morgan Frost, who they took with their second pick in the first round, yes, he is known as a playmaker with a high hockey IQ. He also has 40 goals this season in the OHL. That's fifth in the league in goals. Uh, it's second among 18-year-olds in the league in goals. He's got 107 points, which is second in the league in points. But he, just like Claude Giroux, is a great playmaker who can also put the puck in the net. Morgan Frost is a great playmaker who can also put the puck in the net. Now let's go a little bit further down the draft. In the second round, they took Isaac Ratcliffe, who is a huge winger. I think he's 6'8". And he's a, he's a he's, monster. He's got 39 goals in 65 games. He's an absolute... He, he's going to become a very good goal scorer in the NHL someday. He's... His goal, his goal scoring is up 60% from last year. He's probably developed a lot faster than the Flyers brass was thinking. Last night, he scored uh, his 39th goal in overtime. It was an absolute snipe from the, sh- from the slot. He's a good skater. He's got good hands. But he can also score with a shot from far out. So he's a winger who I see in the future maybe playing with Morgan Frost, who can, who's great, great in front of the net, but also has a great wrist shot. Now let's go to the fourth round. They take Matthew Stroh, who, yes, has some skating problems, but he's got 37 goals this year. So that's 10th in the OHL. Um, he scored some really nice goals. He's a winger whose specialty is putting the puck in the back of the net. So just from the 2017 draft, they've got three of the top 10 goal scorers in the OHL, which is potentially thought of as the best uh, league in the world for junior age players. And I think only five of those top 10 players are 18-year-olds, and the Flyers have three of them. So right there, you've got three guys who are very good at putting the puck in the net. And you go back, Wade Allison's another guy who's, who's very good at scoring. And what I, I think people overrate, like, that you need these high-volume shooters slash snipers on your team. I look at the Penguins. Like, they won Cubs before before Kessel was there, I believe, with Crosby and Mulgan, those guys are high IQ players who aren't necessarily snipers, but they know how to score. So I just think there's a little bit of a, um, it's like this this outcry that I just always hear, this narrative. The Flyers never draft any snipers in the draft. They don't draft goal scorers. But it's not, it's just not true. They What they try and do, from what I can see, is they try and draft high IQ hockey players uh, who are good defensively um, and who have some potential to develop offensively. And I think they've really hit on a number of those guys in twenty in the 2017 draft if you look at, at, the, at the totals from this year. So, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there, that the Flyers do have some, some goal-scoring potential that's going to be coming up. And I think a lot of these guys that people don't view as snipers are going to end up scoring goals in the NHL because – you don't necessarily have to be a high-volume shooter to score a lot of goals. Well, I think from their perspective, the people that are saying this, they're not – I think there's a lot of the casual fan that just focuses a lot on the NHL, the Pro League, and the Flyers roster as it sits right now. And I think they see these teams that are succeeding – and a lot of them have these sniper-type players, these pure goal scorers. Now, not everyone is, you know, as interested in what's going on in the OHL and stuff like you are. And it's not, I mean, obviously, 
it's great that you are because it keeps people like me informed and other people, but I think they just kind of look at things on the surface and they're not seeing, you know, these guys, these young guys come up that the Flyers drafted like Lindblom, Konechny, Patrick, you know, because these players aren't coming in here and scoring 25, 30 goals in their rookie season, you know, they're not putting up 76 goals, Timu Solani style rookie year that they're saying that they're just making a blanket statement and saying there's no snipers, there's no goal scorers that the Flyers are drafting. I don't think many of them, when they say this, are going and say, all right, well, who did they draft? Where are they playing right now? What are they doing? Because everything you're saying is 1,000% correct. There's guys that they've drafted this year or this past draft and in recent drafts that are playing great in the top, you know, junior league out there in the OHL. So, I think I give these people somewhat of a pass because I don't. I just think a lot of them aren't that interested in what's going on in these junior leagues. Now they may, they should, you know, they should educate, not educate themselves. I don't want to make them sound stupid, but they should dive deeper into the issue a little bit and say, okay, well this guy's playing out of his mind. Morgan Frost is playing out of his mind. This guy's has all the potential in the world of starting the season with the Flyers next season. But then what they're going to do then is if he doesn't come out and score 100 points next season like he did this year, they're going to say, oh, this guy's a bust, another playmaker, should have never drafted him, should have taken so-and-so. So I think fans in general are very knee-jerk reaction. They want, they they think things should be one way, they see certain players on certain teams doing one thing and they think, well, the Flyers don't have that because they're not as good as that team. So the Flyers don't draft players like that. So they're just very reactionary. They see a, you know, they see a Patrick line, a come in who was taken, you know, top of the draft. What was he first overall? So, and they're second. Okay. And the the Flyers are thinking, Oh, well, Nolan Patrick was drafted second overall. Why isn't he like Patrick line? They should have gotten a sniper at that pick. They're not looking into it as well. Nolan Patrick was the best player in the draft and Nolan Patrick and Patrick lining aren't the same player. They're not even the same type of player. And Nolan Patrick is going to do things during his career because of his skill set that Patrick line isn't because of his skill set. So it's all reactionary. It's all very knee jerk. I understand your frustration, but from I'm just trying to speak on behalf of the fan that they're not a lot. Most fans, I would say, aren't like you and some of these other um, I don't even know. The, I don't even know what I would want to say, but they're not as plugged in. They're not as interested in what's going on in the minors and in the OHL and these other junior leagues like you are. And. It's great, thank God, for guys like you because it keeps guys like me even keel and level headed. So I'm not uh I'm I enjoy conversing with people on Twitter who want to know about the right. Flyers prospects. What I more get frustrated at is people who um whine about it and then I point this out and then continue to whine like I had never even said anything. So that that's more my I love trying to, you know, educating folks who have questions about prospects. I'll answer any questions that anyone has about prospects. Um, it's more just some folks that make me bang my head against the wall because they just don't get it after I explain it. I got you. I understand. And that's just, you know, that's just a hard-headed Philadelphia fan that if 
you're not winning a championship every year, you're not trying. So I think I'm not losing any sleep over it. So. I, I, but I'm sure you're not. I mean, just a pet peeve. I got you. I got you. People piss you off. People piss me off. You don't like fans, is what I'm saying. I like fans a lot. <laughs> I do. No, right. I do. I know. I love talking. I love talking to people uh, on Twitter. I just there's always some that just kind of you know drive you crazy, and even some of the ones that drive you crazy, I like. Right, a lot of them are my friends. Um, I get into huge heated arguments with my friends all the time, but uh, but I just ask for hopefully some rationality. So I got you. I got you. So on a bit of a side note, the Flyers team photo came out today. Oh, this was my, this was my favorite tweet from you today. <laughs> well, the only thing that I pointed out was the fact that there were four goalies in the picture. Which I don't even think you pointed out how many there were. You just said, have there ever been this many goalies in a team photo? Yeah, you pointed out so, the number, which there's got to be a record. We got to have somebody go back and look this up because four goalies in one team photo has to be at least tied for a record because that's insane. And that's not... Well, so I, yeah. I mean, all it is is it's the Flyers got unlucky with injuries, but, you know, it's kind of what you expect when you have Michael Neuwirth on your team. Yeah, I mean, I saw your tweet, and then I started looking through the photo to see how many goalies I could find. And it was, Mrazek was a little hard to find. He was, he was. Like hi- hiding in the second row. Yeah, yeah. It was, you couldn't see his pads. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the placement was weird. And for some reason, like, his... His, like, chest protector and shit looked smaller than the other goalies, so he almost blended in as a regular player. I had a hard—I thought they cut him out all, like, entirely, and then I saw Johnny Oduya, and I was like, all right, well, what's going— and then I saw him, he's, like, right next to him, but that's my other thing on the team photo. Like, even Johnny Oduya gets in this thing, like— <laughs> To put us in. We talk team. about it every 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 goddamn week. Put us in there too. If you're just handing out spots in the team photo. I've got another pet peeve for you, really quickly, because it yeah. just happened. It just happened. So I'm on the Flyers mailing list. They send out these emails game day. Flyers host Blue Jackets. They always send out the game day po- emails the day before the game. Someone needs to explain this to me. Uh, maybe I'll ask my my season ticket representative. Because yeah. I it, it really annoys me. Don't send out a game day email when it's not game day. Game is, get ready for game day. Twenty four hours and fifty eight minutes away. Could be a glitch in the system, but that is weird. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean maybe we should get your um your your ticket representative on. I don't think that would be a good idea because he's him. a great guy. I I love him, but I don't think, you know, for his his career, I would, you know, I don't think the Flyers would be too happy if he was on here. Uh, you know, he could talk about the upcoming promotions and, you know, how they're going to up ticket prices because <sighs> no, they only reason. raise ticket prices one one dollar. Yeah, that's all people. One, $1 that's all people would need to bitch if they raise yeah. it even a dollar. This well, team hasn't won a Stanley Cup since the seventies, and they're fucking raising ticket prices. How much more money do they need? <laughs> well, they have a stadium renovation to pay for that the Sixers aren't chipping in on. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that too. That stadium renovation, but no, I was happy they they didn't raise prices that much, and my yeah. tickets are pretty cheap anyway. So, well, good. We didn't talk about too much about that 
we have some time if if you're interested. But we didn't talk too much last week about this whole stadium renovation thing that's going on. I find it interesting, and I didn't really realize. Until that whole thing came out when they said they're dumping $250 million into renovating the stadium. And to the people out there that say, just tear it down and build a new one. Like, it's not like we're talking about pennies here. The difference between building a new stadium and renovating the 20-year-old stadium you have. We're talking $500 million. That's not, I mean, that's coming from somewhere and it's coming out of your pocket. So, that, that didn't make any sense to me either. But... As I thought about the Wells Fargo Center, and I refuse, re-fucking-fuse to call it the Farg, because I think that is the dumbest name ever in the history of nicknaming stadiums. Just call it what it is. But anyway, as I'm thinking about it, it's almost like they created the Wells Fargo Center in the image of the Spectrum, because it's like the exact same setup as the Spectrum was. Yeah, except it's just nowhere near as loud. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, they're opening up more, so it's probably going to be even less loud because there's going to be a lot more, you know, space for the sound to travel. Yeah, I liked it on the 200 level. They're going to create some more lounge spaces, not mm-hmm. only because I, uh, that's the level that my tickets are on, but I you just like think the it's, lounge. It's, it's, it's nice to do so. Yeah, I like the lounge. It's nice to do something for, uh, for the fans that maybe aren't as affluent as some of the other fans. And I think, you know, they're adding what it says, adding 7,000 square feet for fans to drink and talk. So I think, you know, I think that'll be nice. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And then they're going to replace, I think, most of the seats in the arena, too, which would be great. I can't wait to get a new couple. Well, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that about the seats. So Saturday night, you know, went out for, for a couple drinks. And then me and my buddy went down to the Wells Fargo Center. To uh, the Philadelphia Rebels game. And You're like their number one fan now. Dude, I'm all about it now. I am all about the Rebels. That's good shit down there. Because you know what it is? It's kids that just want to like They're trying to build a name for themselves. It's junior hockey, but it's not like top-tier junior hockey. So they're out there just trying to like showcase themselves. So they're playing because they want to. They're playing for themselves, and it's good to see. But back, back to the game. So I'm sitting there in the lower levels, and this guy in front of us goes to get up after, like, the second period and almost ends up in my lap because his seat wasn't bolted properly to the concrete. It was get just broken. Yeah, half, half of the seat was just unbolted. It was just broke. And this guy's big, fat ass almost ends up in my lap, plumber's crack coming at my face, and I'm like... Oof. What is going on around here? So let's get a, let's get a mate. Like no one's complained about this seat in the lower level where the tickets are more expensive. No one's saying like, "Yo, uh, can we get like a, th- a, f- a couple bolts thrown into the bottom of this thing so I don't fucking fall back on the guy behind me?" So new seats would be nice. That's exciting because you know for the people that are afraid that the unbolted chairs in front of them are going to have a, another fan end up in their seat. That's good. But really what that whole renovation thing is for is because the the millennials are growing at the interest level in doing anything but talking to somebody and looking at your phone is rising. So and that's, what, that's what it is. You're trying to get more people out to the stadium, and there's really nowhere down there where you can sit there 
you know, if, if if you don't feel like going to your seat just yet when the game starts, there's nowhere where you can really just, you know, sit around, stand around, talk, drink, and still be able to watch the game. There's TVs, but we're talking like 27-inch TVs put sporadically through the stadium. So it's going to be interesting. Ticket prices are probably going to go up. I'm interested to see how the club box seating is going to go down by the glass. So... It's exciting. It's not going to be for a couple, you know, they're going to do a little bit at a time. They can't do it all at once. But, you know, it's it's modernizing the Wells Fargo Center that's only 20 years old. I'm older than yeah, I'm mean, older it's, than it's, a stadium. It's I'm funny. older than all it's, of the stadiums now. Yeah, welcome to my world, man. The <laughs> CEO, Dave Scott, said that the, uh, the Comcast Spectacle was faced with the option of tearing down the Wells Fargo Center and building a new venue. Like you said, it's only 20 years old. That's that would have been a pretty drastic step yeah. for a, a building that's only that old. Well, my problem with that is if you tear it down, you're running out of room down at the complex, so it's going somewhere else, and then you're fucking up that whole thing. You're messing up the one like one of the great things about being a fan of sports in Philadelphia is having all of the stadiums in one spot. So if any of them get tear tore down, which Citizens Bank Park and Lincoln Financial Field aren't because they're the newest. If they tear down the Wells Fargo Center or like the Sixers are talking about building their own stadium, it's not going to be down at that complex. So that's going to that's going to suck. But I'm glad that the that Comcast Spectacle decided to just invest in the stadium they already have and I don't know, maybe get another 10, 15 years out of it before they have to, you know, beg the taxpayers for more money. Yeah, again, it's not one of these things that I get too excited about as a fan, but it'll be certainly fun to see what happens. I mean, that area's, you know, with Xfinity Live down there, it's really turned into a, a fun place to go hang out before the game. So, no, I'm sure, listen, I'm sure they'll do a great job with those renovations. Yeah, we'll see. All right, so big week ahead for the Flyers. As we know, we've talked about it all episode. Briefly, I'll go over it, and we'll give our pick. I, I don't think we've given picks in a while. Um for the upcoming games for the boys, if I could find it. Here it is. All right, so obviously tomorrow the big one, the doozy. They are home against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, this is a big game. We'll go We'll go kind of game by game real quick. How do you see it shaking out uh, tomorrow down at the barn, as they call it, with, with the Blue Jackets? I think they're going to come out hot and heavy. And I think they're going to score a couple goal, goals early. Maybe your boy Oscar Lindblom will get one. He's I getting one in the first ten. Columbus might rally a little bit, make it maybe make it like a two to one game. And then I think the Flyers are going to take more control in the third period. I think they're going to win four to two. Okay. All right. I'm going to. I'm going to. This game's going to be close. It's going to be tight. I think it's going to be an exciting game. Um. Yeah, I, I already called it. Oscar Lindblom's opening the scoring the first 10. He's getting his first goal. I think this is going to go down to the wire. I think this is going to be another overtime game with these two teams. Seems like that happens every time they play each other. I'm going to give it 3-2 Flyers in overtime. Give me Travis Konechny in the OT, burying one past Sergei Bobrovsky. So, yeah, 3-2 there. Carolina on Saturday in Carolina. Carolina's hot. Flyers recently 
got dominated by the Hurricanes on the first of the month, 4-1. A revenge game, if you want to call it that. So much has happened between them, I take the revenge out of it. But uh, the game at Carolina, Dan Silver, your pick, please. I think they're going to roll the Hurricanes. I think they're going to win that game. Hmm. I think they're going to win that game 5-2. Damn. All right. Carolina's hot. Yeah, well, they they had a complete implosion last night against the Bruins, giving up uh, five unanswered goals, including four in the third period. So... I think they're going to be reeling a little bit. I think that it's very unlikely they make the playoffs at this point, and I think they might start throwing in the towel a little bit. I think they're, I think they're going to take some penalties. I think the Blocks power play is going to put some goals up on the board. I think they are going to hand it to the Hurricanes on Saturday. Okay. All right. You know what? I will ride uh, – well, I'm going to call this a loss for a couple of reasons now that I'm really thinking about it because I think they're going to be riding high – from the win in Columbus, and I think they're going to be looking ahead to the big game Sunday against the Capitals at home. So I'm going to give this to the Hurricanes by a score of 3-1, to one, and it might not be that close. For some reason, I just see this as one of the games the Flyers are just not going to show up for. And then that brings us to the very next day. Flyers with another back-to-back. They're not really great at the back-to-backs. Hopefully they step it up because they have a big game. It's the 5 o'clock NHL Network is picking this game up, I'm seeing here. That's cool. So it's at home against the Capitals, a possible playoff opponent in the first round. Dan, what are you seeing there? I think that's going to be a really tight-checking, close game. I think it's going to go into overtime. And I think that Shane Gosses Bear is going to win it in overtime. I think the Flyers are going to win that game three to two. Okay. Um, I see this coming off of the loss in Carolina, a big game. They need to step up at home. I think they will. I agree with you. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be tight checking. It's going to be just really rough. And it's going to be one of those hockey games where it's going to be hard to watch at times because I don't think a lot's going to happen. I'm going to give this to the Flyers. I'm going to give them a one to nothing shutout wow. victory over the Washington Capitals, a statement game as they set for, um, you know, a couple, a little bit of an easier run with the uh, Rangers and the Red Wings coming up after that. But we'll talk about that next week because those are uh, two games the Flyers should win, but we'll see. It all depends on how they play the next three games. So we will see. one nothing. the Flyers should win against the Washington Capitals. So Dan Silver, if the fans want to argue with you, if they want to piss you off on Twitter, where would they do that at? My username on Twitter is at dsilver88, and uh, yeah, I love a good argument, so let's do it. I love talking about all things Flyers, Um, and then you can uh, read some of my articles on phillyisflyer.com. We've got a great group of Flyers fanatics over there, so make sure to check us out. Anthony DeGrazio, our fearless leader, um, has been doing a great job there and uh, it's a really fun site so check it out phileasflyer.com my uh, pinned article on twitter actually is my updated top 15 flyers prospects so make sure to 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 check out that article all right 
And if you want to follow Philly is Flyer on Twitter, that's at Philly is Flyer. Get behind the Philly is Lamp movement. Every time the Flyers score, hashtag Philly is Lamp because they're lighting the lamp. And uh, that's a good thing. So as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Flagman, two N's. And you can follow this wonderful show, also ran by me. The Twitter account is at underscore getting bullied. And that is where you will see, um, you know, just little little tidbits, little little things that I like to throw out there. So, uh, again, a big week for the Flyers coming up. Huge game tomorrow night against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll see how it shakes out. We'll see if the Flyers can survive this three-game stretch at the top of their game. Until next week when we do this whole thing one more time, let's go Flyers. And good night, Sweden.